Thanks for listening to this sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. We exist to see lost people saved, saved people matured, and mature people multiplied, all to the glory of God. For more information, visit us online at redemption.ca. All right, good morning. We're back into the book of Genesis this morning. If you want to have a seat, we'll get at it. Um, So, as we've been going through Genesis, ever since Genesis 12, we like, Genesis 1 through 11 was like, um, it just seems like mankind continually makes bad decisions and rebels against God. I mean, that's, this can, can kind of sum up from chapter 3 through 11 after God makes this perfect world. And then you have uh, chapters uh, 12 on, it's like, hey, God's chosen some people and um, we find this guy, Abraham, he was a moon worshiper. God called him out of that. And um, he's not perfect, we find. He gets into tough situations and he's like, maybe the best thing to do would just be to lie. And so he does that on a couple different occasions. He lies about his wife uh, being his wife, says that he's, uh, she's his sister, which there was a technicality where it kind of was true, but... Um, but not really. He did it out of deception. Uh, but God worked on him and made him more and more uh, into a man of God as time went on. And then we see uh, Isaac, his son, uh, follows in his dad's footsteps, also lies about his wife being his sister. And that one, there is actually zero, uh, zero truth in that. And then uh, now we have Jacob. And Jacob, if you kind of sum up Jacob, it's kind of like, um, I believe in God's blessings, and I'm going to do everything I can do to make that happen. He, is, uh, he was North American before there was a North America, okay? Uh, if we're being honest, our default is not like, let me pray about that, and let's see what the Lord has. Our default is, I can do it. And, and, and so Jacob is really instructive for us today uh, as we look at God's Word. I've uh, entitled this morning's sermon, the, guy, the God Who Fights Our Inner Battles. We like to sing lots of songs about God fighting our enemies, right, and, and going after uh, those who would come against us. And that's all true. But at the end of the day, your greatest enemy really is yourself, right? It's your flesh, doing what you want to do versus what God wants you to do. But, but what I want, to be, I want us to be reminded of this morning is that God is not okay with you staying where you're at. And we've seen that with Jacob. He is not the same man as he was 20 years previous, but he still has a ways to go. And I pray that uh, this morning that we would be encouraged by the fact that, that we have a God who fights for our sanctification, that he, he comes alongside us and, and he brings circumstances into our lives that will help us to get to the point where we realize, I can't do it. And I know that sounds very anti-culture. And it is. And so that's really good, actually. Right? We can't, but guess what? He can. And that's a very good thing. And this morning, I'm praying that all of us, by the time we're getting, we leave this place, we could say, Lord, I surrender to you, fully surrender to you. 
Now, whatever you bring my way, I know that you are good. I know that you are faithful. I know that your love is steadfast. I know that your mercies are new every morning. And as much as my first reaction is to resist whatever is happening in my life, God, I'm praying that I would learn that the first reaction I need to have is to surrender to you. And maybe some of you here today, I'm praying today would be your first day you surrender to God. That you're like, okay, I'm done. I'm done my own path. I'm done my own way. I want to follow God's way. So let me pray for us, and then we're going to get into his word. Lord, we love you. We're so thankful for this time together this morning. God, we pray, would you lead us? Would you guide us? God, we are so thankful that you are a God of grace and mercy, that you do not leave us where we're at. But in your grace, Lord, you, you make us more like you. You show us that you are great and that we are weak. And, um, and Lord, in that, we, we find hope, we find life. And, um, and so, God, I pray for each one of us here this morning. God, would you help us to submit even to the word that we're going to be hearing this morning? And God, if there be anyone here today that they're, they're still on this journey where they're trying to figure who, out who you are, God, would you help them? Lord, would you help them to see that you are the one true God, and that you love them, and you've made a way that they might be reconciled to you. So, Lord, have your way in our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, everybody needs a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, go ahead and slip up your hand. Uh, we want uh, everybody to be able to look down at God's Word together. Uh, maybe you forgot uh, your Bible, or maybe you don't have one. If you don't have a Bible, uh, just keep the one they're going to give to you. Uh, but we want to look at Genesis 32 and 33 this morning. Uh, and uh, we're going to, as we look at the text, we're going to see this. Three ways God fights for your spiritual growth. Three ways that God fights for your spiritual growth. The first thing that we see is that God wants to fight against our fear of man. And God wants to fight against our fear of man. As we're going through these two chapters, I, I don't know that there's anyone here who's like, I can't relate. I just can't understand. I don't know what's going on here. Like, I think, I think uh, sadly, uh, we can all too well relate. And at one level or another, you wrestle with this fear of man. And, 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 and some, some people have it worse than others, but we all wrestle with it. Now, Jacob has a fear of man, um, and, and, and this man is Esau, who basically he ripped off in, during their entire uh, life together, right? Both uh, he stole his birthright, and then he stole his blessing, and the last thing that he's heard from Esau is that he's planning on killing him. So he fled. Mom said, hey, let him cool down. Once he cools down, I'll let you know, and then you come back. And still no word from mom, but he's on his way back, okay? And, and so he's got a legitimate fear of Esau. Like, we're, we don't want to belittle that. Um, the last thing, again, is that he'd heard was that he was going to kill him. So that there, there's some legitimate fear, just like you may have some legitimate worries and anxieties and fears in your life. The problem is, is when those fears and anxieties are greater than your fear of the Lord. And this is what we see here with Jacob. But God wants to remind him, I'm with you. So verse 1, Jacob went on his way and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp. So he called the name of that place Mahanehem. Now, 
if you're with us, you'll remember on his way to Laban, he had encountered angels there as well, this camp of angels. And so on his way back, God in his grace again is showing him, hey, I'm still with you. I'm still for you. Jacob. And, and it's interesting that that's basically all that we're told. There's no conversation goes on. He's like, oh, two camps. And we're going to see this theme of two camps now as we go through it. And, and I think God is, is helping us to understand, listen, that there are two camps that you and I face. We face the physical problems of our everyday. We're well acquainted with that. But listen, there's also the spiritual aspect, which is just as real. And again, in North America, we're weak in this. Other cultures, other places in the world are a lot stronger on the spiritual side of things. Something happens, they automatically think that has something to do with God. Not necessarily our God, but they'll attribute it to a God. Whereas you and I like to try to explain everything in a physical way. And so we, we see, uh, Fox explains this, from this starting point, everything is subsequ- uh, subsequently a matter of two camps, or two levels. There's the divine and the human. Uh, Jacob is going to be wrestling with his fear of man. And at the same time, he needs to come to grips with who God really is. And, and so this is what we're going to see in these two chapters as we continue to study. Ross says this, no mere human effort is ever sufficient to meet all the challenges inherent in the mes- mission of God has designed. Both the protection and the performance of God's program come from God's presence. That's a good word for you and I here this morning. God never intends for you to do really anything on your own strength, in your own strength. But he he provides both provision and help with his presence for all that he has called us to do. And so we need to... Remember that in our lives. Psalm 34, 7 says this, The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Whatever you are facing today in your life, it's important that you remember this reality. God is not apart from any circumstance you are going through. He's very much a part of the circumstance you are going through. He is sovereign, and if you are going through something, he knows it. He knows everything about it. He's allowed it in your life, and he intends to use it. He even uses your past in order to help you to grow in your sanctification. And we're going to see this with Jacob. So he's like, okay, it's great. The angels are there. And then he goes right back to Jacob mode, which is, what am I going to do about my problem? Verse 3, and Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, the country of Edom, instructing them, thus you shall say to my Lord Esau, thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male servants and female servants. I have sent to tell my Lord in order that I may find favor in your sight. Listen, um, I don't know if you know what happened, uh, but I've been gone for like 20 years. You probably noticed that part. And, and I just wanted you to know, I've been with Laban. He doesn't bring up why he left in the first place. He's like, let's just not even talk about that part. But I have some stuff now. I've been blessed of the Lord. And I, I, wanna, I, wanna, I want you to I wanna share this with you. And so he sends these servants. They're to take this position of humility before him. 
your servant. They calls him Lord. Another way you could say it is master. You're my master. You're my Lord. I, I'm, I'm submitting myself under you. And I'm hoping to what? I'm hoping to find favor in your sight. I really hope that after 20 years, you're still not upset at me and want to kill me. As I studied this week, these messengers, he maybe would have been better to send some other messengers, okay? Because this is what the report is. And the messengers returned to Jacob saying, we came to your brother Esau and he's coming to meet you. And there are 400 men with him, okay? Uh, okay, um, 400 men. What does that symbolize? It's an army. There's an army coming towards him. So Esau's worst fear, or sorry, Jacob's worst fears have been lived out now, right? For sure. This is what he's doing. He's coming to kill me. That's, that's what he thinks. That's, I mean, the evidence, the messengers are like, yeah, he's like really cordial. He's really happy to, you know, when we've seen him, they, they don't, I mean, this is all we're told. Yeah, he's coming. He's got 400 men with him. So, so in this whole account, we're never really told what Esau is thinking. I mean, just think about this relationship. Uh, not a lot of trust between these two brothers, right? So could be Esau's thinking, I need 400 soldiers to protect myself from whatever Jacob's about to bring my way. All he's done is harm in my life, right? He could be thinking that. We don't know. Uh, he could be thinking more benevolent, like, hey, he's coming into our country. I'm going to give him a, an escort, an army escort, in, in order to bring him home. Or he could be thinking what Jacob thinks he's thinking, and he's like, I'm going to get my brother. But nobody knows. And, and Moses doesn't tell us, as he writes this, not until we get to the culmination of that point. And so he wants us to feel this tension that Jacob has. Like, what is going to happen to me? So how does Jacob react to this news? He was greatly afraid and distressed. He divided the people who were with him and the flocks and herds and camels into two camps, thinking if Esau comes to the one camp and attacks it, then the camp that is left will escape. Great plan, Jacob. Is this a great plan? No, this is a desperate plan. This is a plan, once again, where he does something without first talking to God about it. Right? He, 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 he's like, okay, uh, probably, this, <laughs> I mean, again, dysfunction in the families, right? Okay, my one servant wife goes over here. The other servant wife goes there. Let's put Leah over here. Let's put Rachel over there. And then let's divide the stuff, right? Kids will go with the moms. And here's the plan. When Esau comes to kill us all, hopefully he'll just focus on the one camp. The other one will be far enough away that they'll be able to escape. Good plan. Not a good plan. But now, again, Jacob may be like you. He's like, I know I should pray. Right? What's the North American way of thinking? When you've done everything that you can possibly think of to do, then pray. Right? Isn't that how we, you know, we think, we, we live? I mean, it, it, like, it's true. 
If we're being honest, I, I pray that some of you are like, ah, you know, I, God has changed that in my life. That was my way, but God is helping me. And, and, I, and, I, and I pray that's our story for all of us here, that he would change us. But, but in the beginning here, he's like, it's not good. So I, I love how he's just, he's just focused on the fact that he's going to come kill me. Why? Why is he, why is he so convinced He's coming to kill him. I, I, I like what, what Boyce says here to help us out. Shakespeare, he, talk, he, talk, so he points to this Shakespeare guy. He's a character in, in which a character says, Conscience doth make cowards of us all. Conscience doth make us cowards of us all. What he's saying is this. Because of his guilty conscience over the last 20 years, this guy, all he can think of, he's going to kill me. Why does he think that? Because he knows he deserves to be killed. He's been, he's been deceptive. He's, never, he's not been loving to his brother in any way. And so Boyce puts it like this. This was Jacob's problem. He was bold before Laban. Why? Because he had lived an upright life before Laban. He's cowering before Esau because he remembered the evil he had done to Esau. And his conscience convicted him of the wrongdoing. And so he is convinced he is coming to kill him. And so now he finally prays to the Lord. And in some ways, it's a good prayer. Verse 9. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred that I may do you good. He's remembering what? First, that God is a covenant-keeping God. He has kept his covenant to his dad, his, his grandfather, sorry, Abraham, and his dad, Isaac. He, he's the same God who has told him to come back to this land. And why? So that he might do him good. He's remembering the character of God. And can I just encourage you to pray in a similar way? When you come to the Lord, remember his character. Start with your, your prayer with remembering who he is that you're praying to. And maybe focus that, that character on what, is your, what are you praying about? What, what are the requests you're about to bring to him? Maybe in this season, we're going to be talking about this in the members meeting. We're going to be focusing on this over this next month. But God, we're praying, God, would you save the lost? Would you help them to see that you love them and care for them? And so as you begin your prayer, begin by, by saying, hey, Jesus, which means what? He will save his people from their sins. That's what his name means. Lord, we, we know that you are the one who saves. Lord, we know that you are the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Lord, we know that you are more than powerful to change hearts. Lord, you saved me. You changed my heart. You gave me, you made me a new creation. You've given me a new heart. God, you've done these things. And so, Lord, as we come now to pray for the lost, we know that you are able to do these things. And so whatever your prayer is, maybe you're, you're just saying, like, everybody's against me. And, 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 and maybe you're praying about Israel. Begin by saying something like this. Lord, you are king of kings. And Lord of lords, you're sovereign over all of your creation. Do you see what I'm saying? So, so know the character of God. And so Jacob is, is exemplary here. 
The next thing we see him is, is, is getting humble before God. Verse 10. I'm not worthy of the least of the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff I crossed this Jordan, and now I have become two camps. This is a great, great place to be for Jacob. He, he understands that he is not worthy of anything that he has received the last 20 years. What has he received? What did he focus on? God's steadfast love, his faithfulness, and his blessings. That's a good pattern for you and I this morning. That's, that's something that you and I ought to remember. Like God, you, you have told me as your child that you will never take your love away from me, that nothing can separate me from your love. That, that God, you are always faithful. And sometimes that's like when, when things go upside down, that's so important that you remember that. God's not all of a sudden not faithful in the circumstances that you find yourself in. No, he's still faithful. And oh, by the way, he has given you many, many blessings here this morning. No matter who you are, if you are a child of God, you have so many blessings that he has given you. Take time to remember those blessings. Take time to think back on his past faithfulness to you and recount those blessings one by one. So important that you and I would do that. Because it then helps us to face the present circumstances that we're facing. And so he, he humbles himself and recognizes that, that God is the one who has been faithful and loving and blessing him in all this, what he has. And then he gives his request. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he may come and attack me, the mothers with the children. He's coming to destroy my whole family, Lord. Like, like that, I, this is what I believe. I, I, I think he's going he's gonna to take us all out. But then he shows the wrestling that he has going on here. And he showed it at the beginning. And now, right, you told me to come in to this land that you might do me good. But I think I'm going to die. But then he says in verse 12, but you said, I will surely do you good. You see the wrestling, the flip-flopping? And make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. Like, how is it that I'm going to get killed and I'm going to have tons of descendants. How does this go together? Like, help me, God. Like, I love how real this prayer is and how it, in so many ways, shows what kind of wrestling you and I have going on every day. Right? Like, can you relate to this kind of prayer? God, I know your word says this, but I'm feeling this. I'm thinking this. I think I'm going to die. But you said I'm supposed to do this and it will be good for me. Like, help me, Lord. Right? So you see this wrestling and you, you, you can tell, even as he leaves this prayer, that it's still not, he's still not believing what he's saying. He's still not believing that this will be good. I love what Ross says here. His fear and probably his guilt still controlled him and left him uncertain about the outcome of his prayer. Right? He's got all these other voices going on in his, on his, in his, in his head as well. He's got the word of God, but he's got all these other things going on and saying, like, you do deserve to die. You, you, your brother probably is going to come and kill you. So he's, he's got this wrestling going on, and, and he says this, guilty 
fears will do this to prayer. For somewhere in the back of the mind is the idea that the answer to the prayer is not deserved and that justice will be meted out instead. I mean, how many, how many of us even just wrestle with our own salvation? You know your heart. How many times do you fail over and over and over again and you're just like, really? Am I still a child of God? Can he really forgive me? And the word of God is like, 100%. His grace is greater. His grace is greater than all of your sin. That his sacrifice was once and for all. And if he's made you his kid, you're always going to be his kid. Like, it's hard though. If we're being honest, there, we have these moments of doubt and, and, and despair. But, but, but God wants us to believe. And so he helps us along the way. He's not done with Jacob yet. But Jacob, he gets his prayer done and he's right, right back to his own efforts again. So what's he do? Verse 13. So he stayed there that night and from what he had with him, he took a present for his brother Esau. 200 female goats and 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 milking camels and their calves, 40 cows and 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. These he handed over to his servants, every drove by itself, and said to his servants, pass on ahead of me and put a space between drove and drove. He instructed the first, when Esau, my brother, meets you and asks you, to whom do you belong? Where are you going? And, though, and whose are those, these ahead of you? Then you shall say, they belong to your servant Jacob. They are present, sent to my lord Esau. And moreover, he is behind us. He likewise instructed the second and the third and all who followed the droves. You shall say the same thing to Esau when you find him. And you shall say, moreover, your servant Jacob is behind us. For he thought, I may appease him with the present that goes ahead of me, and afterward I shall see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. So the present passed on ahead of him, and he himself stayed that night in the camp. 550 animals he sends in five droves, right? And you can see the plan. Okay, first drove gets there. Uh, who are you? Who, who, like, whose animals are these? They're yours. They're your animals. And guess what? There's more and more and more, right? He's just like, you know, like, like if he's super angry. Maybe by the time after five of these, these droves of, of presents to him. And listen, it's 550 animals is like no joke, right? Like just think about today. You're a farmer, and they're like, hey, we're going to give you 550 animals. Like, that would be a good day, right? That'd be a really good day. And, and, so, and so he's hoping that he can, again, what? Manipulate the situation so that he'll forgive him. He still hasn't got it yet, right? He's still trying to be in control. He's not relying on God fighting his battles. He's still trying to fight his battles in his own strength, I mean, if Jacob had just been convinced of his own prayers that were based on the word of God and then lived accordingly and trusted the Lord, he would have been in a great place. But instead, he's not completely surrendered, which leads us to the next point. God wants to fight with our failure to surrender. 
Every single one of us here this morning, God wants you to be in a place where you would surrender to him, where you would take the posture like this and say, Lord, your will be done. Your will be done. No me clenching my fist. It has to be this way. God, you have to listen to my prayer. You must. You have. No, he's God. He's in control. And he wants you to surrender to him this morning. So we see Jacob, the sis says, the same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 children. Uh, it would be better sons because Dinah is also a child that went, went across. And crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. So there's this picture here. He, he's trying to get some sleep. He can't sleep. He's like, I, I, in the morning, we're going to have to cross the stream. Why not just do it now? Like when you're anxious and when you have fears, you, you, like, there's, like rest isn't coming, right? And so he, he just gets up. He's like, I'm going to do something. And so he sends his wives, his children, and everything else he has across the stream. And now he's all alone, Right? There's this picture, he's going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, and now he's just alone. Verse 24, he's left alone in the darkness of the night, alone with all his fears. He's wrestling internally, and he's, he's not ready for an unexpected foe. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. Jacob has no idea who he's wrestling with. And in some ways, his identity is still a little vague uh, all these years later. But I'll, give, I'll do my best to try to help us understand. By the time we're done reading this text, we'll understand that it's not just a man, that, that, that there's it's a d- divine being. Hosea, chapter 12, verse 4, gives us a little commentary. says, He, Jacob, strove with the angel and prevailed. He wept and sought his favor. So angel is what Hosea says this person was. He thinks it's a man. It says man here. And so likely this is the angel of the Lord. The same guy who showed up in Genesis 18 with Abraham. He was called Lord. Uh, Abraham bows down before him. He speaks on behalf of the Lord. Many people think it's the pre-incarnate Christ. We don't know for sure, but but. Obviously, whoever it is, he is able to speak on behalf of God and has the power of God and is able to give a blessing as God. And so this is who he's wrestling with. Anyone here think that he would be able to take Jacob? Anyone think that like, this was really a fair fight? So, so what's happening here, Jacob, yes, he's been wrestling internally, but God has picked the fight. God is the one who is wrestling with him. And he's making it close. Now, this isn't like Olympic wrestling, right? Like, they're like, okay, another match, right? Like, that's not, he thinks his life is being threatened. And, and, and he's right to think so, right? So, so there's this battle going on all through the night, we're told. But when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Okay, now we're starting to see his true power. Okay, he just touches the hip and it's out of joint. Okay, and, and I imagine 
Jacob is in a lot of pain at this point, okay? He's in a lot of pain. Then he said, let me go for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Now, thankfully we have Hosea 12 to help paint the picture here. But what we now see is Jacob is finally a broken man. He, it says that he wept asking for favor. So he is crying. He's finally come to an end of himself. And he understands he needs the blessing of God. He needs that more than he needs his own strength, his own wisdom. Uh, Arthur Pink says this, Jacob was not wrestling with this man to obtain a blessing. Instead, the man was wrestling with Jacob to gain some object from him. As to what this object is, the best of the commentators are agreed. It was to reduce Jacob to a sense of his nothingness, to cause him to see what a poor, helpless, and worthless creature he was. It was to teach us through him the all-important lesson that in recognized weakness lies our strength. Again, this is so counter-cultural. It's so counter-flesh. We want to be strong. We want to have all the answers. When you pray, that's what you ask for, right? Help, Lord, help me be strong. Help me, to, help me to have the answers. Help me to be wise. Help me. Like, that's our prayers. Rarely... Now, I had a young man come between services and, and say this is a prayer that he's been having and God's answered this prayer. Rarely do we pray, God, break me. God, help me to be humble. God, put me in my place. And guess what? God answers that prayer. Even if you don't pray it. Even if you don't pray it. Because why? Why? Because a broken you is a much better person than a strong you. Because he wants you to see he is great and you are weak. It's it's the moment where you finally are living in reality. We live in this make-believe world that we're in control. We're, we're, we can do it. We, you know, we just need a little help from God and that's all we, like that's not true. It's not true. You are, you, you, you are dust is who you are. But he's an awesome God. And he's powerful. And when he brings these circumstances into your life, you then have a choice. Will you humble yourself? Or will you be like Israel, grumble and complain, shake your fist at God, you don't know what you're doing, how dare you do this to me, God? Or do you then just say, God, I... I don't know why you're doing this. Have you guys had some stuff in your life where you're like, I don't know why he's doing this? But then you say, but I trust you. I trust you. And those are tough prayers. Nobody's belittling that. Nobody's saying, well, that's such an easy thing to do. How could you not do that? No, it's, it's a hard thing. Because then we have to swallow our pride. We have to give things over to him. I love how Boyce says it. Have you ever had your life put out of joint by God? That ever happened to you? And he says this, have you never had your own little plans dislocated? Of course you have. You've, you were trying to do something contrary to God's will, and suddenly, out of the blue, <clears throat> excuse me, God used sickness or a loss of a job or some severe setback or disappointment to bring you to the end of yourself and turn you to him. This is God's grace in your life. Your self-sufficiency is not good for you. It brings destruction. 
Because then you start making much of yourself rather than making much of God, and it's never a good place to be. In today's terms, we call it hitting rock bottom. We call it hitting rock bottom. And for some of us, bottom is a lot deeper than you thought. Right? You're like um, praying for someone, and you see some circumstances happen in your life. You're like, okay, they're going to get it now. They're going to give themselves over to the Lord. And what happens? They just double down. They double down in their anger towards God. They double down in their selfishness. And then they hit another bottom. And then another bottom. And I'm just saying this morning, if you are not surrendering to the Lord today, do it now. Do it now. Why would you suffer more? Find that his ways are much better than our ways. Stop stop walking in your own self-sufficiency and find the joy of being fully dependent on him. I mean, Hosea is like, this guy, he, he saw God's favor with weeping. That's a good place for him. It's a good place for you and I to be broken before the Lord, trusting ourselves to him. <clears throat> this book, or you know, this little book called Humbled, <clears throat> excuse me, by uh, David Mathis. And, and, it, and he's just saying, you know, we think that humility is something like we kind of pull our bootstraps up and do. And he's like, if you look at the entire scripture, that is nowhere. What, what humility, how humility comes about is circumstances come into your life and then you respond with humility. That's how humility comes about. That, that circumstance comes about and then you're like, okay, Lord, I trust you. I'm humbling myself under your mighty hand. That's how humility comes about. And so we're praying that for all of us here this morning. So he is broken. He's humbled. He's asking for a blessing. And he's going to get a, an unexpected blessing here. Verse 27. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Uh, does he know his name? He knows his name. He's God. But he wants him to say it one more time. What does Jacob mean? Heel grabber, deceiver. That's been his life. He wants him to know and say it one more time, this time of confession, like this, my, this has been my identity. But now he says this, you shall, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Israel means this. It means God fights or God strives. By God's grace, Jacob is now in the place that he needs to be. He will not be perfect moving forward. We're going to see that even in the verses still to come. But he now understands that through his weakness, God is strong. God fights in his behalf. Hugh says this, we must remember that Jacob fought in his weakness. The paradox continues to instruct. The day of failure through power was over. And the day of success through weakness had begun. When we are weak, he is strong. This is what Paul told us, right? In my weakness, he is strong. That, that, that continual position before the Lord, my, not my will be done, but your will be done, Lord. I submit myself to you. I am your servant. 
So he needs to remember that God is the one who will fight his battles. And he needs to surrender to him. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. This is him seeing God face to face. We know from other scriptures if you, that no man can see God face to face and live. So once again, we, that's why we believe this is the angel of the Lord. Um, so, and it's dusk when he sees him. So he's, he's saying, God's, God saved me. He's helped me. And then the sun arose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. So this is a continual physical reminder for the people of Israel. This is how God humbled Israel, our father. This is how we ought to walk in humility as well. So there's this continual physical reminder. In just a few moments, we're also going to have a physical reminder of communion, being reminded that in our weakness, we were unable to save ourselves, but Christ is able. But Jacob, can you just imagine, okay, I mean, it's been, it's been a tough little bit for him, right? And now, here he comes. He's walking with a limp. And commentator after commentator said the same thing. All godly people walk with a limp. That's just the way it is. God brings us to the end of ourselves, and then he begins to have his way in our lives. And so he's a different man than the day before. And we see some signs of that, and we also see some signs of the old Jacob in this last point. Three ways God fights for your spiritual growth. God wants to fight for our faith in him. He wants to fight for our faith in him. In some ways, Jacob is going to be exemplary here, and in other ways, Jacob is going to be Jacob. Okay, his name has been changed, but there's still some Jacob in him, uh, just as is for you and I, too. So he's come face to face with the Lord, with the angel of the Lord. Now he's going to come face to face with Esau. He's ready for that moment. And Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau was coming, and 400 men with him. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two female servants, and he put the servants with their children in front, then Leah with her children, and Rachel and Joseph last of all. No longer, let's divide into two camps. Hopefully he just kills one of them, like none of that. Instead, what he's doing, he's, he's getting ready for all his wives and children to meet Esau. Again, we see the dysfunction of polygamy going on here, right? There's a reason Joseph's brothers hate him by the time he becomes a teenager, okay? There's this, there's this continual dysfunction going on in the home, but that's not what this text is about right now. So just a side note, polygamy, bad idea, okay? Then what? Does he trail everybody? No, he goes front. He himself went on before them, bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. So the picture is, you know, he's walking, bows down, walks a little bit further, bows down seven times till he gets to his brother. He has no idea how he will react to him coming before him. 
This this is the culmination. This is the point. And he has to be shocked by Esau's reaction. Verse 4. But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him. And they wept. Like, what a beautiful picture. I mean, these sibling, this sibling rivalry that it had got so bad that, that he was convinced Esau was going to kill him. But what we see here is God's not only changed Jacob's heart, he's also changed Esau's heart. Not in a salvation way, unfortunately, but in a way that he was able to forgive his brother. That he was able to love his brother. And so they, you see them just embracing and crying. All that anger, all that, all that bitterness is just melted away with these tears. It's such a beautiful thing. And it reminds you and I that this is the people that we ought to be. And God calls us, he says to you and I, to, that we are to be at peace with all people as much as it depends on us. That's the, that's the calling. Well, that's a tough calling. Yeah, it is. It is. But if you walk in that way, then you become like your Savior. As Jesus is on the cross, he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. As Stephen is being stoned, as he's about to breathe his last, he also says, Father, forgive them. And we, lo- we, we get this, this front row seat to know that God answered that prayer. Saul, the persecutor who was there with him holding, holding these, the, everybody's cloaks so they can stone him. He becomes Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles. And so as much as it's dependent upon you, you're to be at peace with all men. If they're like, I don't want to be reconciled to you, then what do you do? It says to pray for your enemies and love them. Praying that one day you will be reconciled, but more importantly, that they would be reconciled to the one who made him, who made her. That's what we pray for. And so we see this beautiful picture of reconciliation. Our hearts long for that in our lives too. And then we see in verse 5, he's like, like, who are all these people? Esau lifted up his eyes and saw the women and the children. He said, who are these with you? And Jacob said, the children whom God has graciously given your servant. That's that's a good word. Everything that he has, he's already said that in his prayer earlier. Everything that he has is from God, by God's grace. That's why he has what he has. That's why you have what you have is because of God's grace. He graciously gave it to him. He's he's being a little bit of a politician here. He doesn't say blessing. Okay, because remember, he robbed him of the blessing. He's, he's, making, he's using words like graciously gave. That's, that's a good thing, okay? So he's not, he, he's showing some good diplomacy here. And then the servants draw near, they and their children, and bow down. Then Leah likewise and her children drew near and bow down. And last, Joseph and Rachel drew near and they bow down. They, they each come and, and, and show respect to Esau. And then he, he's like, what, what was the deal with all the animals? Verse 8, Esau said, what did you mean by all this company that I met? And Jacob answered, to find favor in the sight of my Lord. But Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. We see this heart change by Esau. Esau was so 
concerned that he was going to have nothing because what? Jacob had stole both his birthright and his blessing. But 20 years later, he's not destitute. He has stuff, right? And, and sadly, Esau's good with that, right? He doesn't want to be a part of the covenant people of God. He's like a lot of people on this earth. They're like, you know, in some ways, they can be exemplary to you and I in the way that they, they live their lives. I mean, he was quick to forgive. He, he doesn't know the Savior. He doesn't know what forgiveness is, but he's quick to forgive. And so in that way, he's exemplary. But where he's not exemplary is that he is good with just the temporary, just the things of this earth. And Esau, as far as we know, never did come to faith in the Lord. But he's like, I got enough. I'm good. But Jacob said, no, please, if I have found favor in your sight, then accept my present from my hand. For I have seen your face, which is like seeing the face of God, and you've accepted me. I think, you know, there's this debate. Is, he, is this going back to the old Jacob here? Is he kind of manipulating the situation? I don't see it that way. I think, I mean, I put myself in Jacob's shoes, Right? If I thought my brother was going to kill me for 20 years and his reaction to me is to, to hug me and kiss me, I would be like, it's like, a, I mean, are you kidding me? There is nothing better, right? And so, and so I think this is a sign of Jacob's maturity. He's no longer trying to manipulate the situation. He's able to bow down to Esau knowing if it's the Lord who makes him master over anybody. And he's able to give his stuff away because he's able to say, God is the one who will make me rich or not rich. That, it's all up to him. And so he said, please just take all the stuff. You can have it. Please accept my blessing that is brought to you because God has dealt graciously with me and because I have enough. And then he urged him and he took it. There's this also this, this, this picture uh, of the cost of forgiveness. I think it points us to the gospel. It costs God a lot more than 550 animals to purchase your forgiveness. It cost him his son. His son gave his life for you and I that we might have life. This is what God has done for us as his children. And I pray everyone here understands that today. That if you have been walking in rebellion against him, that, that he has said, listen, I've accepted the gift of my son's life for you, that you might be forgiven. If you would repent of your sins, if you would trust in me, then you would be forgiven. Now we see Jacob kind of go Jacob mode. Verse 12. Then Esau said, let us journey on our way, and I will go ahead of you. Let us, let's go. Let's, let's, it's been great hanging here, but let, let's go home. But Jacob said to him, my Lord knows that the children are frail, and that the nursing flocks and herds are a care for me. If they are driven hard for one day, all the flocks will die. Is that true? That's true. Okay, good. Verse 14. Let, the Lord, let my Lord pass on ahead of his servant, and I will lead on slowly at, at the pace of the livestock that are ahead of me, and at the pace of the children, until I come to my Lord in Seir. This is where he comes off the rails once again. He has no intention to go to Seir. So why lie about it? Like, have we not learned that God is the one who fights the battles? That you don't have to manipulate? You don't have to try to get your own way? But I think Jacob is, again, sadly, exemplary for you and I, that when we're pressed, when it's a tough time, we're like, okay, Lord, you do it. Only you can do it. And then when the pressure's off, we kind of default back to our own flesh mode. And so in a negative way, he's exemplary once again to us and saying, like, 
We can't do this. Don't go this way. Don't be like Jacob and go back to deceptive mode. We see the rest of the deception here, verse 15. So Esau said, let me leave with you some of the people who are with me. I mean, again, Esau is actually, he's more Christian here than, right? He's the more godly person than Jacob is. But he said, what need is there? Let me find favor in the sight of my Lord. So Esau returned that day on his way to Seir, but Jacob journeyed to Succoth and built himself a house and made booths for his livestock. Therefore, the name of the place is called Succoth. Right? He's going as, why Succoth? It's because it's the name of, uh, place of booths. Right? That's the name and what it means. I mean, all he had to say is like, look, you got a ton of stuff. I have a ton of stuff. We can't live in the same area. Uh, my grandpa was talking about this. You remember grandpa? You remember grandpa. He's your grandpa too. Remember Abraham? Remember what happened with him, him and Lot? There wasn't enough land, so they had to divide. So I love you. We'll get together for, you know, traditional times. You know, we'll, we'll still get to hang out at those times, but we can't live together. That's all he had needed to say. He didn't need to be deceiving. And I think it's just showing us here, Jacob still has a long ways to go. He goes to Succoth. He doesn't go to Bethel. I think that's a problem. We're going to see this next week. He's settling down where God is not intending him to settle down, and it's going to cause some big problems. And we're going to see that next week. So come back. All right? But are you thankful that God fights for you? That he fights your inner battles? He fights your pride? He fights your fears? That he tries to help you see that just trust me, just trust me, And I know there's some really, really, really difficult situations some of you are facing right now. And I would just remind you, just trust him. He is good. His love is steadfast. His faithfulness is great. His mercies are new every morning. And so each day, wake up and trust him again. And he will lead you. He will guide you. Let me pray. God, we thank you for this time together this morning. We thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for pursuing us. Thank you for initiating all of this, Lord. You are the one who has saved us, and Lord, you are the one who is saving us. And Lord, if you did not initiate these things, Lord, where would we be? We would be lost in our sin, in our pride, over and over and over again. And so, God, would you help us to surrender anew this morning? God, that's my prayer for everyone here. Lord, whatever anxieties, whatever sin, whatever problems they face, God, help them just to lay it down before you once again. Say, I trust you, Lord. I trust you. One day at a time, Lord, we trust you. Lord, if there's some here today who have never surrendered to you, God, I pray today would be that day. They would confess their sins and they would put their trust in you. Lord, for your glory and for your honor, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. We exist to see lost people saved, saved people matured, and mature people multiplied, all to the glory of God. For more information, visit us online at redemption.ca.